Well, all right, all right, all right. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Joe Turner, and this is City Manager Unfiltered, a podcast by a city manager for city managers and other public sector executives. And I'm coming at you from lovely Wichita, Kansas, the air capital of the world. I am a California native, born and raised. I miss my In-N-Out burger, but I will tell you this. I do not miss the traffic. I do not miss the expensive real estate. I do not miss the crime. And Kansas has been phenomenal. It's clean. It's safe. No traffic. It's inexpensive. And I will tell you that if you are a management analyst, if you are a department head somewhere, if you are an aspiring city manager and you feel trapped or locked into where you're at now and you're not sure how to break free and get to the next level, start looking to the Midwest. The Midwest has a lot of opportunities. And frankly, there are not a lot of candidates out there who are competing for the positions. I came out here in July of 2018 because I wanted to get on the city management track in the public sector, and it's been a life-changing experience. The people are amazing out here. Uh, The city managers are amazing out here. They will give you the proverbial shirt off their back to help you. It's just a great place to cut your teeth. The rules in Kansas are pretty chill. They're pretty laid back when it comes to open meetings and, and things of that sort of nature. There's just a lot of great things out here that a lot of great opportunity for folks. If you are aspiring to be a city manager, you got to give Kansas and the Midwest a look. I mean, you got jobs that are paying $100,000 out here in small town Kansas, and they can barely get 10 to 12 applicants. And those are not even solid applicants for those positions. So yeah, there's going to be some adjustment. I'm not going to say moving across the country is easy. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. You got to put yourself first, level up. You can take care of your family uh, with earning better uh, than a management analyst salary in expensive Southern California or some other place. So yeah, that's my plug for Kansas in the Midwest. I've really enjoyed my experience here and it's just been an absolute blessing. I have no regrets about leaving California uh, other than my In-N-Out burger and maybe not being able to get to the beach that often. So in, my, in the first episode of this uh, podcast, you know my in, my you know my quote unquote introductory podcast episode, you're not alone. I talked about what my goals and objectives were for this podcast and my LinkedIn page and and how this is evolving. Number one, I want to create a community for public sector executives. You know, one of the, the main things I I received in the feedback from my LinkedIn comments and the messages I get from the people who are emailing me through LinkedIn. It's just that, hey, thank you for saying the things that uh, a lot of us are thinking, but don't feel like we can say out loud. It's nice to see other people are going through similar problems and learning from them and so forth and so on. A lot of people just said that they were feeling alone and disconnected and that my post helped them feel connected in in some way or shape or fashion. So I really want to create a greater sense of community for city managers And to help with networking and our mental health and all those things, you know, um, I just think it's such a huge, huge benefit. I've never been really good at networking. Uh, I attribute that to some of the childhood trauma, and maybe I'll get that to another episode. But I've never been really good at asking for help or asking people for anything. And I've always felt networking had this this sort of connotation of, you know, what can I get from somebody else, right? It's a take-take thing. But you know, what I've really enjoyed about LinkedIn and my experience on there is I've been able to give to so many people and so many people have been appreciative and thankful. It's just been really fulfilling, a really fulfilling and gratifying experience. 
And I want to help create that experience for everyone else by building a community. So that's that's something I'm really aiming to get to. I'm not exactly sure what the, the, the shape or structure that's going to be, but that's something I really want to aim to do. Uh, secondarily, I want to work on personal and professional development. I am not a self-help guru. I don't have all my, you know, my act together. I'm not trying to put myself out there as the next Tony Robbins or anything like that. But I do want to be a facilitator of discussions on personal development because I do believe that the better we are, right, the healthier we are in our individual personal lives, uh, you know, the happier we are as our as spouses, as parents, so forth and so on in our home life. It's going to make us better managers and better executives. And then, you know, on the on the professional side, I've said this time and time again, I want to give you the career tools and resources to help make you a better executive so you can rack up the victories, polish your resume, crush your interviews, uh, land your dream job and win your contract negotiations. I'm really, you know, that's a that's a really important thrust of what I'm trying to get to here is to help everyone level up. If I may be so bold, I hope it doesn't sound arrogant because I, I definitely don't know it all. But I also going to learn through this process of trying to help you, uh, the re- the listener. The third point I want to make on this is I do think there needs to be greater advocacy and sort of a crisis response, reputation management component to this profession that I think is sorely missing or sorely lacking right now. You know, you have city managers who are being dragged through the mud. You have governing bodies that are literally breaking state laws when it comes to open meeting violations. And there's really humiliating, unprofessional uh, terminations that are taking place. And what happens is you have these city managers who are fighting with one arm behind their back. I wouldn't even say they're even fighting. They're really not fighting at all. They're handcuffed, they're, they're hamstrung, and they feel like they can't really say anything publicly because if they say anything negative or they try to fight to save the reputation, it has the risk of perhaps their next employer having fear of hiring them because the next employer is not going to want to be sort of feel like they're going to be dragged into the public domain of, of, of debate or news articles or anything like that. So what happens is you have these city managers that are getting fired and you have these innuendos, these uh, unanswered allegations uh, or accusations on them. And there's really no way for these city managers to help protect and defend their reputation. And I really think there needs to be a third party individual organization that goes to bat for these city managers. And that's something I'm really looking at doing. I have a skill set in that area from a past life being involved in political activism and in political campaigns and what have you. And so I really want to explore that idea of how does how do we go to bat for our city managers to help with their reputation management? I'm not going to fully flesh that out here in this in this podcast episode, but those were the big three, right? So create a community, personal and professional development, and then advocacy, reputation management work for city managers. So this is the second episode, but this is like my first real episode, right? Because the first one's like this introductory episode, yada yada yada. This whole thing is about you know what is your most important objective when you're in your contract negotiations with a new employer as a city manager or public sector executive. Contracts and contract negotiation has been a major theme in my posts on LinkedIn since I started posting. So I felt it was fitting and appropriate that this be the first substantive topic that we go into detail on. Let's start with this. Why, why do we have contracts? You know, Do we have contracts so that we can just simply list out our salary in writing? Uh, is it so we can have our car allowance and our cell phone stipend? Is it so our ICMA dues and our conference expenses will be covered? Is it for the health insurance? No, I don't, I don't think we have contracts for those reasons at all. They're important, don't get me wrong, but I think they're secondary to the most important provision we have in our contracts as city managers. And that is the severance clause. 
Our severance clause helps prepare us and protect us in the event of a future divorce from the organization. You know, when we go into a new city, a uh, new contract negotiation, we're excited. You know, we're, we, we can't wait to get going. We're, we're excited about what we're going to be able to fix or improve in the, in the organization. A lot of times it's going to lead to a raise in salary, right? So we're excited about earning more money, all that stuff that comes with it. It's a very emotional time, but you cannot let emotions rule you during contract negotiations. The severance clause helps protect us in the event of a future divorce from the organization. Nobody wants to think about separation or anything negative uh, at the time that we're signing a contract. It's the same with the whole prenuptial agreement when it comes to marriage. And I know a lot of people say, oh, I don't believe in prenuptial agreements. You know, I would never enter into a prenuptial agreement with my spouse. Well, I got some news for you. Every one of you who are listening to this podcast, if you're married, you have a prenuptial agreement. The only question is whether or not you signed a prenuptial agreement with your spouse that was worked out in conjunction with the support of an attorney, or whether or not you're operating under the state law that governs divorces in your state, right? And that is the prenuptial agreement that you're working on. But make no mistake, each and every one of us who are married, and I am, I am married myself, we all have prenuptial agreements. So the question is, do you want to have a prenuptial agreement that you had significant input in writing and crafting and drafting, or do you want one that was just handed to you? And, you know, a lot of times city, uh, city managers basically just get the contract that was handed to them by the city attorney. And you need to start thinking a little bit differently about how you're going to approach these contract negotiations in the future. This job's very risky. It's very volatile. And it's time for city managers to take a little bit more control in their uh, negotiation and their contract writing. The days of just sort of lollygagging through it and just accepting things as they are, those are over. This industry has changed significantly in the last few years and it's gotten incredibly volatile. And so you need to start thinking about your exit strategies when you're entering the organization, not when you get fired, not when you get terminated without cause or with cause. You need to start thinking about your separation before you even enter into the agreement. The primary purpose of the contract is to ensure that you have severance protection in the event you are terminated without cause. That's what I believe. You might disagree, but I, I, I believe without question that that is the fundamental primary purpose of the contract, the severance clause. Your entire focus should be on ensuring your negotiations are geared towards extracting the best severance protection that you can. And, you get, and, and as far as I'm concerned, I'd be willing to sacrifice a whole host of other things, whether it's a little bit of lower salary and other benefits and perks in order to extract the best severance clause possible. However, severance clauses are not the most important objective during contract negotiations. Wait, insert record scratch here. I hear some of you thinking, what the hell, Turner? I'm confused. If the severance clause is the most important provision, then what is the most important objective during contract negotiations? Well, I'm going to get to that in a second. Before I, before I get to that, though, I want to give you a little bit of background about me and understand kind of where I came from and what I'm about, because that is what informs my perception or my view on contracts and the importance of them and what your primary objective is. My perspective on city manager contracts is heavily influenced by my exposure to the financial markets. In high school and in college, I was aspiring to be a commodity trading advisor or a hedge fund operator. So I wanted to trade you know, futures, corn, wheat, bonds, uh, that sort of thing. What gets beat into your head over and over is understanding risk or understanding how to calculate risk and how to mitigate risk. 
because one of the trading maxims we all live by is you need to cut your losses and you need to preserve your capital. If you don't cut your losses and preserve your capital, you can't trade anymore and therefore you can't be in the game and therefore you can't make money. So those were the key rules to learn about trading. Uh, there's a bunch of other ones, but I won't get into them here because they're not contextually relevant. But anyway, so I go to University of Southern California. Uh, I'm a Trojan fight on and I get a degree in finance. And then my first job out of college in January of 2001 is as a trader on the SIBO in Chicago, a derivatives trader. Basically, it's a fancy way of saying we traded stock options uh, on the floor of the SIBO. In the context of trading stock options, uh, when you buy or sell an option, there's something called a premium, right? That's a risk premium uh, that you must basically pay in order to someone in, or to, in order to basically get the right to buy stock or sell stock at a later date. So that's the premium. And what happens is when you're a trader, every time, not every time, but generally speaking, every time you make an options trade, you hedge that bet by buying or selling stock. Okay, so the trader on the on the floor is not trying to make money based off a bet on whether a stock goes a certain direction or anything like that. A trader is essentially trying to capture the spread and lock it in through hedging. And so the reason why I bring this all up is that when I look at a city manager contract, I think about the salary that we make, car allowance and the cell phone allowance and stipend. And, and to me, those are the risk premiums we get for the, for the job that we take as city managers. But the hedge, the hedge in this instance, is the actual contract that we have that has the severance clause and other aspects to it that uh, help us mitigate our risk. Okay, that helps us preserve our capital in the context of, say, the trading uh, analogy. When you are looking at trading, and I've said this before, traders, professional traders, they believe that as long as they appropriately manage risk, okay, meaning they don't take on trades that are too big in size, that over a large enough sample size, a large enough sample set, a large enough bets, whether you're a professional trader, a fundamental trader, a technical trader, whether you're a gambler, whether you're a blackjack player or a card counter, all these individuals who are doing this, engaging this activity, believe they have an edge. So the key for them to make money and to survive is by ensuring that they don't make too many risky bets uh, that are too large. Because if they just play within their system and they mitigate risk, they're going to be just fine. That, in the, in the grand scheme of things, informs my view about city management and risk and protection and mitigating risk and all that. So again, for me, when I look at a city manager's contract, the risk premium is the salary that we get and the other benefits that you know that have, that have value to them as far as in our pocketbook that helps pay us for the skills that we provide right the expertise we bring the scarcity that we have right in a field where there is a large demand for our services but there's not enough of us to fulfill that demand that is the risk premium in this equation the hedge is the contract and the severance clause and other aspects in that contract that basically help us mitigate the risk. And so when I say, what is the most important objective of your contract negotiation? It is to mitigate risk. And though the severance clause is the most important and largest component when it comes to mitigating risk, it is not the only component that comes with mitigation of risk. And that is why I make the distinction between the severance clause being the most important provision, but the most important objective being Risk mitigation. Let's talk risk mitigation. You cannot mitigate risk unless you know what the risks are. So what are the risks that you and I incur as public sector executives? 
I've broken this list down into three different parts. We're going to talk about direct financial harm. We're going to talk about uh, job quality, uh, satisfaction, and motivation issues. And then we're also going to talk about quality of life and and family-related risks that we incur. The first most obvious one is that we are at-will employees subject to termination at any moment. All you need is three votes on a five-member governing body or four and a seven. Our, our job is not promised tomorrow. We can be fired at any time. So we incur significant risk in the fact that our life can be turned upside down at a moment's notice. It is very difficult in this profession to find another position that will pay us comparably to what we earn right now within just a few months of separation. It can happen, but it's rare. And that is why the severance clause that we've talked about earlier is extremely important. It buys us time and time has value. Time is incredibly valuable to us because the more time we have, the odds of us landing a new gig that's comparable to the one we had before increases. The odds are most likely that when you get terminated or you separate, you're going to have to relocate to another area to find work. That is very traumatic and traumatizing to your family. It introduces a whole level of stress and risk, which we're going to get into in a little bit. But then you have the unenviable task of having to sell your home and relocate. If you own a home, you got 6% realtor fees that you have to pay. So if you own a $400,000 house, you're probably shelling out $24,000, $25,000 on real estate agent fees just to sell that house. And there's a bunch of other costs related to selling a house that I'm going to get into here, right? When you sell, you got to get rid of all the crap in your house because you're not going to take everything that you have in your house to your new location for a variety of reasons. One is you just can't afford or don't want to pay to uh, move everything. Their new house won't fit it for whatever reason. You need new furniture. And so invariably what happens is you have garage sales, moving sales, where you sell things for pennies on the dollar, you give it away to charity, or you simply junk it and trash it. So you're taking a big hit on those material possessions that you've purchased and uh, you're selling them or getting rid of them at a discount. Then you have the actual cost of the move, which can be thousands and thousands of dollars. Maybe the new employer will pay for relocation expenses. Maybe not. Maybe they'll only pay for a portion. You have the mental energy chaos and the emotional toll it takes of moving your family. Then you have the transaction fees on a new home when you move to your next gig, right? If you want to buy another house, you got to go through the whole process again. Loan origination fees and yada, yada, yada. It's tedious. It's expensive. Then don't forget about... Uh, interest rate risk, right? If you want to buy a house now, you're looking at paying six, seven, six and a half, six and three quarter percent interest rates, whereas just a couple of years ago, you could get 3% or better. That's a huge impact on your quality of life and your buying power. You're going to take a big hit financially in that interest rate risk. Uh, what if you move to another area where the cost of housing is much more expensive? That could be a deal breaker or cause you to not want to take the position. Or you might have a, a, a smaller house or a lower quality house or uh, not maybe not in the most desirable neighborhood because you can't afford to live there. Then you have to buy new furniture, uh, new furnishings, a bunch of crap for the new house. And it just goes on and on and on, right? So moving is very expensive. And it's something that we, I think many of us really underestimate the true cost of what moving is or what moving entails. Uh, then you have health insurance risks, right? We need our health insurance, especially if you are the sole income provider or you provide health insurance in your family. Without a job, that gets very expensive. And then how else can it be a direct cost? Well, when you are out of work, sometimes you get emotional and you have to make desperate decisions or make desperate choices and maybe take a new job someplace that either is a step back financially, a step back in title and financially, uh, or in a location that's not desirable. And you might even have to take a job that is not a city management job as far as a, a top dog 
Maybe you're going to go to an ACM or a department head director position. All those things can have a negative toll on you financially. You have pension risk. Uh, if you're going to leave the pension system in one state and go to another, you're going to have to spend some time to get vested in that system. So there's an issue there. What about your spouse's employment options? It is highly likely that they will need to find a new job when you get terminated or separated because you're most likely going to have to relocate and then they're going to have to find a new job. Are they going to find a new job that pays them comparable to what they're earning now? Or are they going to have to take a pay cut? These are actual costs that the family household is going to endure as a result of a separation. So these are very serious events that transpire, and these are risks that we are going to try to mitigate in the contract. Now, what about risks that may cause you to grow frustrated or dissatisfied with your job? You want to mitigate the risks that will destroy your uh, motivation and demoralize you uh, or generally make you unhappy because being unhappy in your job is no fun at all. And when you're unhappy in your job, it may force you to start looking for another position someplace else. It may take its toll on your your happiness and your presence at home. It might make you an unhappy uh, a, a spouse or not a very good spouse or a parent. You might lash out in some way or you might start acting out in ways that basically cause further dis, uh, dissension in the home front. Being unhappy with your work can really have a, an impact on all the people that are around you. So how do you mitigate the risks in the job uh, that might lead to mo- uh, you being demotivated? What about the governing body uh, encroaching on your role and powers and authority? When council members attempt to circumvent you or direct employees, that can be extremely frustrating and demoralizing. I require autonomy and the ability to heavily influence and shape my work environment. That's me. I want control over as much as possible as I'm an individual who possesses a very high internal locus of control. I want to have hire and fire authority and things of that sort of nature because my job performance and my ability to get results, I believe, is going to be better if I have the ability to control all the personnel around me and keep the ones who are are performing and get rid of the ones who are not. My work performance is very... Heavily, in, uh, heavily influences how I feel about my, my work. So if I'm not performing or I feel like I'm not meeting my expectations, I'm not happy. And so I want to have access or the tools or the, the power to shape and control my environment in the workplace as much as possible. That's important to me. What about performance evaluations? You know, in both my city management positions I've been in, I've been unhappy with the structure and format of my performance evaluations. I've I've failed to properly address my need to have more input and involvement in these processes. And that's led to me being frustrated and sometimes demotivated as a result of those performance evaluations. Now, my performance evaluations have been solid and I've gotten really good raises, but there's been aspects about them that have really kind of um, frustrated me. What about termination and reputational risk, right? You're going to want to mitigate the potential harm by ensuring that you have language in your contract that affords you as much due process as possible. So now let's look at the third category of risks. And I call these, you know, the family and relationship type risks that we incur in our job as city managers. Bouncing around from community to community can can and will take a toll on your family. Earlier, we discussed your spouse's employment and focused solely on whether they could find a job that pays something comparable to what they make now so that you're not hurt financially. That's great. That's all dandy, but that is only part of the equation. What about finding a job that they enjoy as much as the one they have now? What about finding a job where the company and culture and employee relationships are equal or better to the one they have now? Okay, there's more than just actual having um, the same compensation. Okay, there's quality of life matters that take place in the workplace as well as at home that are impacted by your termination or your separation. Uh, What about your spouse's friends and potential family members who might be in the area? 
What about your children switching schools? This can be incredibly disruptive to their educational performance and social development. What about your friendships and relationships? I'm talking about you, the manager. We have friends and relationships with people that we are interacting with. You know, what happens to those relationships in your professional network if you're forced to relocate out of the region or out of state even in order to gain gainful employment so you can provide for your family? And then what about the potential for divorce? Earlier, I talked about prenuptial agreements and how we all have prenuptial agreements, whether we, we want to admit it or not. The reality is, is that financial hardship causes a lot of stress on a, on, on a family. If you're losing your job and then you don't have a severance to you know, pick up the slack or protect you or carry you while you're trying to figure out your next opportunity, man, that can put a lot of hardship on a, on a, on a family and on a relationship. Uh, one of the main causes of divorce is financial strain. And you know, if you lose your job and you run out of your severance and you start eating in a savings or going through all of your savings, what then? A job loss can lead to a tidal wave of stressors that cascade through every aspect of your personal life. This is no joke. You must take a job loss extremely seriously. And this gets back to what I was saying about the trading rules. You need to minimize your losses and make sure you do not get blown up financially and lose everything. So we have identified these all these different uh, risks that we have to mitigate. And there's, I'm sure, some other myths that I, uh, some other risks that I've missed uh, on this list. But these are a broad array of risks that we now need to mitigate in our contracts. So how do we do this? You mitigate risk by constructing a strong contract that I would say tackles three components. One, you want to buy time. You want to have the option of taking your time to find the next position that's right for you, not only on a professional growth and development and, and career progression track, but also financially. Okay, you don't want to take a step back financially. You don't want to feel forced to take a job that is a, a step back in title or in compensation or it's in an area you don't really want to go to. You don't want to have, maybe you're a city manager. You don't want to have to be forced to take a department head position or an ACM position. So you need to have time to find the right position for you. You might also have kids in school. You want to wait till the end of the school year. All these different aspects. You Buying time is incredibly valuable, and that is what you need to be thinking of in the, in the largest uh, construct of this contract, right? The most important aspect is to buy time. Time is extremely valuable. The more time you have, the better decisions you can make for you and your family, and the less risk you take on when you separate from the organization. You also want a contract that promotes and encourages your job satisfaction, uh, that keeps you motivated, that you are happy to go to work, right? You do not want to be in a situation where you have governing bodies who are undermining you, that are circumventing uh, your role, going behind you and talking to staff, directing staff. Uh, you don't want to work for a governing body that's constantly trying to strip you of your, your powers and your duties and uh, override you. And you want to have as much autonomy as a professional executive to, to succeed and perform. So if you are unhappy in your workplace, that's going to have negative consequences throughout your entire life. And so, you know, when you talk about mitigating risk, I'm not just talking about mitigating the financial harm that can come to you. I'm talking about uh, mitigating items that might lead to a job dissatisfaction, because then when you're dissatisfied, your performance might slip, which could lead to you getting terminated for cause if it slips really badly. Uh, it could just lead to you getting terminated in general because your performance is not up to snuff or your, your head is elsewhere. Think about gardening and, and weeds. You want to kill the weeds before they're even uh, attacking your garden. So you want to have language in your contract 
that protects you from this encroachment, government overreach by the governing body and other sorts of um, items that might lead to job dissatisfaction. And then you want to have a contract that puts you in the strongest place possible so that you are not feeling like you're under the gun. I'm going to talk about this and primarily about the residency requirement because this is a pet peeve of mine. It's something I'm really passionate about. And I really think the residency requirement is a complete power imbalance in the relationship between the city manager and the governing body. And that places so much stress on the family if and when you separate and you have to relocate because then your family gets uprooted, the schools and the kids and all that other stuff. Buying time is incredibly important. You want to negotiate the longest severance possible. The city, the governing body, they don't have as much skin in the game as you do as a city manager. They don't have as much to lose. It's not their money. They don't really have any skin in the game in the grand scheme of things, except the organizational disruption that comes with making a switch in the city manager position. But let's be honest, staff is going to deal with the consequences of organizational disruption far more than the city council. That's just, at least that's my belief. Council members rarely feel the true pain and impact of an organizational disruption that comes with the turnover at the city manager position. If they did, there would probably be a lot less turnover in city management today, right? But we see people getting fired left and right and quick turnover in these organizations. You got to remember, they're playing with taxpayer dollars, not their own personal dollars. Make no mistake. So you have much more at stake in this equation on a personal level when it comes to your finances and your well-being. But you want to have them have a must, enough skin in the game as a city, as a governing body, that they don't just fire you willy-nilly or separate at their own capricious whims. You want them to have skin in the game so they have to think long and hard about whether or not it's a mistake that, that's worth firing you over or they want to get rid of you or, or something like that. You know, I, I had a funny story. Uh, my council was, um, I had members of my council who were kind of pissed off at me one time based off of uh, my interactions with a local business owner on a code enforcement matter. Uh, this guy was a real piece of work and I uh, wasn't a fan of him. He wasn't a fan of me. And my council had made it very clear that they wanted me to clean up this property at the time that I was interviewing for the position. And uh, when you put me on a mission, I'm going to I'm going to get that job done. And so uh, they didn't um, there was a, a point in time where there was some concerns about how I handled the, the matter with the uh, the business owner. And one of the uh, uh, they met they met in closed session without me, which is always uh, kind of perilous. Right. And get a little worrisome. My council member, one of my council members told me, he said, basically, at the end of the day, I asked him, you know, I, I'm, I was making or I'm, I'm making one hundred thousand dollars in this position. Right. And I have a six month severance clause. And during the conversation, his, his point was, are you all fifty thousand dollars mad about it? Because if you're not fifty thousand dollars mad about it, what are we talking about? And the point was very simple. Are you willing to fire me over this issue? Uh, if you do, it's going to cost the city fifty thousand dollars to do that. And so when you think about in those terms, you gotta you want the council to make the decision. Are they six months pay mad? Are they nine months of your pay mad? Are they a year's uh, worth of uh, your pay mad? Because the, the, the larger that severance, the more mad they got to be in order to justify that expense to the voters. Let's talk about notification of termination. You know, you want to negotiate as much time as possible with respect to them terminating you. If they're going to terminate you, you'd like them to give you notification that they're going to terminate you. You know, one of the one of the best contracts I've ever seen for city managers is Tommy Gonzalez's contract, the uh, now former El Paso city manager. He has a or had a 120 day notification clause in his contract on top of his 12 month severance clause. I mean, that is an amazing contract provision to say, hey, if you want to fire me, you need to give me 120 days notice on top of my severance. Then there's also the notification that your contract will not be renewed. I had a buddy of mine who 
was operating on a term contract with his employer and they notified him two weeks before the end of his contract that they were not going to renew it. He was basically blindsided and he didn't have this notification requirement in his contract that said, hey, if you're not going to renew my contract, you need to give me a heads up notice. You know, you should try to get as much time as possible on that issue, whether it's uh, six months, uh, what have you. I mean, try to get six months uh, at a minimum if you can. That way you have a six months heads up that you're not going to have your contract renewed and you can start looking. And during negotiation, when things are well and you're all talking about unicorns and rainbows and how great this new marriage and relationship is going to be, you need to remind them, the governing body, that an orderly transition and succession plan is essential to good governance. And that is why you want to have this notification well in advance of your contract not being renewed so that proper steps can be taken to find a replacement. Also, a quick side note, I've seen uh, many, many term contracts that do not have a severance clause provision, but I have seen some contracts out there where it is a term contract and they do have a severance clause provision on top of it. So if you say you have a three-year term contract and the three-year term runs out, they still have negotiated a severance at the end of that three-year term. And, and that's something you might want to you know, seriously look at negotiating for yourself. Now let's talk about termination with cause. You need to make sure that you have a very clear black and white language that delineates what you can and can't be fired for cause over. Vague language favors your employer because they have the tax dollars to fight you in court and they can wait you out. Trust me, they're not losing uh, in, any pay out, out of their paychecks or anything like that when they're fighting you uh, over a severance. You're the one that's struggling uh, to put food on the table unless you've taken the financial preparations to be uh, somewhat financially independent or have enough savings to withhold going without pay for a period of time or not getting your severance, right? So you got to remember, they are playing from a position of strength. They have much more leverage and much more firepower than you as a city manager who might be going through a battle over termination with cause. Warren Huttmacher, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, of Sumner Consulting, he preaches about this often in his LinkedIn posts. You need to have clear language in your contract that specifies what you could be fired for cause over. I see a lot of contracts where it has vague language about uh, personnel manuals and policies. Those personnel policies are created by city governments and county governments to the employer's benefit. So you want to be very careful when you have language in there that says that if you violate a personnel policy provision that you can be terminated for cause. You know, you, you need to, we really need to work on that as a profession. I do not like to see that language in there with the personnel policy manual because I just think it gives way too much uh, power to the governing body. And I think it's too vague and it's just up to too much subjective interpretation. And I really think we as a profession need to move away from the idea that city managers can be viol uh, be terminated because of so-called violations of the personnel policy manual. Here's something else that you can do to get by, by time. Negotiate upfront vacation and sick time. I would say this is very important too in states like Illinois, Florida, New Jersey, where they've capped out the severance clause provisions. In Florida, you can get 20 weeks. I think in Illinois, it's 20 weeks. New Jersey, I think, is uh, three months you can get uh, maximum severance. But if you negotiate upfront vacation and sick time, you can basically manufacture additional severance clause months. If you negotiate three, four weeks of vacation and three or four weeks of, of sick time upfront in the bank, you could have an extra month and a half to two months of severance built on to your traditional severance clause uh, obviously, assuming you don't use the, those uh, vacation or sick hours until you know you, you have a separation, but that will help you buy some additional severance time. I have an election clause in my contract because I wanted to have an opportunity to build a relationship with any new council member or members who are either elected or appointed 
to a seat on the on the council. So I have a 120 day provision that says that I cannot be fired uh, in the event that uh, a council member is appointed or elected to the governing body. Uh, I get 120 days to build that relationship. And if you don't want me after that, then you can fire me and pay my, pay my severance. You also want to have a clause in there that prohibits the city council or the commission or what have, whatever you're working under from diminishing your role, your responsibilities, and your powers. If they try to dial back what you can and can't do as a city manager, this has been in the news lately. I, I talked about a uh, recently about a situation in uh, Hilliard, Ohio, with a, a city manager who the uh, members of the, the governing body are trying to strip her of some of her uh, hire and fire authority because they didn't like the fact that she terminated a department head. Have language in your contract that states that if your powers are minimized, diluted, reduced in some capacity, that it triggers a severance clause option for you, and you can elect to choose that option if you want uh, at your discretion. You're also going to want to have due process for termination and for reputation protection. That's a very complicated subject. I'm not going to get to it here, but I would definitely research it and think about that. So if you get terminated for cause, what kind of due process rights do you have to either fight it, clear your name, get your version out there to save yourself? Then you also have performance review metrics. I talked about that a little bit earlier. You want to negotiate the terms of your success, and you also want to be better than I've been about negotiating how your performance review should go. Be very clear about what your expectations. Are you going to be in the closed session when they're reviewing you? Are they going to review you by themselves and then bring you in? Are they just going to review you by themselves and then give you a grade and say, that's it? What kind of feedback and interaction are you going to have with the governing body when talking about your performance? Because you want to you want to make the case, right? I believe that... I get one chance a year to really uh, fight for myself. The rest of the year, I'm fighting on behalf of the governing body, city staff, trying to do my best for the taxpayers and, and do right by them. But once a year, that's when I get to fight for me and my interests and my family and try to take care of my needs and my career goals and my aspirations and put more food on my table by getting raises and, and bonuses and that sort of thing. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is the residency requirement and about put, you know, putting yourself in a position of strength. When you agree to a residency requirement, you are really putting yourself behind the eight ball at the very beginning. And I know many cities have charter provisions and whatnot that you, they require a residency. And some of us are just never going to be able to get around it depending on the jurisdiction. But we really need to fight back as an industry against the residency requirement because it's such a power imbalance. When you talk about your kids in school, their friends, their peers, their relationships, your, the, your wife, your husband, your spouse, their relationships with their friends, their family, uh, their, their employer, trying to find a new job, residency requirements really put you behind the eight ball. And what I've seen a lot is city managers who are in a really toxic environment or not happy with their current situation, they're very leery of leaving uh, and trying to find a new position because they know that most likely in that area that they're working in, they're going to have to relocate to the city limits of that new job and their kids are going to get taken out of their school or they're, they're going to get pulled away from their family and friends. It's very disruptive. And so as a profession, we need to really get away from the residency requirement. It's not a benefit to the city and it's definitely not a benefit to the city managers or their family members. So we really need to get away from that. But that is in a nutshell the sum total of how you mitigate risk. The most important aspect of your negotiations when you're negotiating a contract with your counsel and you're taking on a new job is you need to mitigate your risk. That is job number one. And the severance is the most, the severance clause is the most important provision and aspect of mitigating that risk. 
But mitigating risk is job number one, and you need to fight like hell to accomplish these mitigation tactics that help buy you more time, protect your your job satisfaction, and you want to protect your family as much as possible from the disruption that comes from a separation. My name is Joe Turner. I am the host of City Manager Unfiltered, a podcast by a city manager for city managers and other public sector executives. If you really enjoyed what I'm talking about, if you think I'm filling a void or a niche in the city management profession when it comes to podcasts, please uh, rate and review my podcast on the platform on which you're listening. Catch you next time. Thank you. Thank you.